My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. Wednesday, May 14th, 2019. This is Messiah Matters. Number 246. Here physically while my brain seems to be on vacation. My name is Caleb Hegg. And I think I'm like one second off in a delay. So all my horn punches are physically, are, you know, look visually off from what the actual baritone sax is doing in our intro music. I'm Rob Vanoff. <laughs> your your audio's on, but your your audio is but your video is off like two seconds. I know. So when I punch that Barry Sachs, but it like Did I say two four six? I, I'm dyslexic. Two six four. It's show two six four. That's what I meant to say. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's two six four, not two six three. That was last week. Uh, like I said, my brain's not fully here. So why not? I think it's because of the allergies. Mm. My allergy. I don't. I don't know if I'm still sick from the ten hours I spent in Oklahoma. I got deathly ill when I came back, but I can't figure out if that's because of the horrible, um, the horrible uh, allergies that are back here. My head's all cloudy. My uh, nose is all runny and stuffed up. My chest is all out of whack but it's been like that for like a week and a half now so it makes me wonder if it's the the unfortunate part is that the allergy medication is not doing anything i realized like two minutes before we went we came on air that i forgot to send out show notes so i expect low turnout. what did you what did we call the show today half i was my idea was halfway to pentecost Let's see here. I have 263. Okay. So the only way to fix that is going to be in, I think in, hang on just a sec. Can I fix it here? 264. There. Your changes are being saved. Thank you, chat room. It's, uh, it should be changed now if you refresh. 264. <coughs> Okay, well, I might not be here completely in mind, but we'll try to do this anyway. How's it going, man? <laughs> it's going really well. Um, I'm. I think spring is what is probably my favorite. I mean, I like all the seasons. Like where we live, we get four pretty distinct seasons, you know. Um, but spring is beautiful. You know, the sun's up by four forty-five now. And over the last week, I've been out in the backyard of the picnic table by five o'clock. 
with a cup of coffee and scriptures open, birds singing, a bunny rabbit hopping around in our yard. You're talking Squirt. in the morning. What's that? Five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, the sun's coming. I can. I don't even have to have any additional light to be able to see. I mean, I can read because it's that bright that early. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> our season is in Ontario is winter and construction. No oh, doubt. No. No doubt. They've been working on. Nobody cares about this except for people in Tacoma. But they've been working on this I five corridor. Or not the corridor, I'm sorry. They've been working on this I-5 stretch right by the Tacoma Dome. Right. I think we're going on 13 years. It's And it's not even close to finished. It's just always in a constant state of of we're fixing something or we're doing something. Mm. Okay, enough yeah. Enough moaning. It's uh, We're counting the Omer. Yeah. Now, first of all, I, you know, can I moan a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. You know, I, I love all the people and, and I love being in ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed that the Lord has placed me. In so I hear a, a butt coming up. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very happy that the Lord's placed me in the work that I do. And, uh, uh you, you know, a lot of the time it is, it's just, I sit back and think, Lord, this is so wonderful. Thank you so much. I do have a pet peeve though. You know, we get so many good questions from so many listeners. And it's not okay. even our, it's not even our listeners. I think that uh, I think I don't know if people find Torah resource and then I don't know what it is. But every once in a blue moon, people will think that we're Google. What do you mean? I I, I get emails like where do, where where is it commanded to count the omer? Oh, I see what you mean. It's like you can type I, that exact well, same no, thing hey, into a Google we're search. We're called Tor Resource, so yeah. But I mean, you can, I don't think that I, I don't think that's incomprehensible that people go. You know what? I'm going to ask Tor Resource. After right. all, they're called Torah Resource, <laughs> right? But I mean, like, like where does the Bible say? And then you know, like, okay, I see. so it's, stuff it's, that is like it's like reflects. Just, you wish people would go to their Bible first, maybe. Yeah, or even type it into a Google search. Okay. Well, now, maybe theological they, yeah. issues, obviously. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? We're here to train up and, and whatnot. Yeah. I feel like, but sometimes, not very often, but sometimes I think people think that we're the accordance. You know, we're accordance Bible software or something. Um, anyway, okay. Um, with that said, um, we are in the middle of counting the Omer. If you don't know what the Omer is, you can Google it. No, I'm playing. Well, I'm that's a good question. I'm What's I'm the totally middle? Playing. Because tw- <laughs> there's no middle of 49. That's true. We're middle of 50. So, so today's 24 and a half. 25. Yeah. So somewhere. Yeah. So uh, basically, what is the Omer? That's a great question. The Omer, technically speaking, was a sheaf of, of grain that was bundled together and brought into the temple. That's what the Omer technically was. However, in Leviticus, I think it's 23. I don't have the reference up. I probably should. Um, it tells us that we're supposed to count the Omer every day. So there is the question, should, like, is it... And the other question... Here's a really interesting question that I thought about today. I think it... I mean, it's odd to say that my my own question is interesting. Um, so here's a question that I thought of today. 
Do you think that people outside of Jerusalem proper in the first century were counting the Omer and keeping track? I think so. I think so too. Well, maybe I, I, maybe not everybody, but I think Jewish communities through in the diaspora did. I think when Paul's in Ephesus, he's he knows that Shavuot's on its way. He says, "I want to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost." I think it says. Well, of course they're counting. So, I mean, they're certainly they're counting, right? They know when Shavuot's going to be and whatnot. But I mean, you know, people have all sorts of different traditions. I've wanted to make a uh, like an advent calendar, but with fifty instead of twenty-four, and have like you know. I liked what we learned from. Uh, Lois, her family makes those uh, little uh, construction paper rings. Chains, oh, nice, yeah. Right? And then different colors. And then Shabbat was, I think, purple or something. You know, Shabbat had its own color of ring. And then uh, every day they take a ring off. And so the, they start with a chain that has 49 or maybe 50 rings. I don't remember. The last ring might be, uh, you know. Pentecost, but then every day they take off a ring, and then when you get to Shabbat, it's like, oh, it's a Shabbat. I thought that was super cool. I don't think I was around for that, or else I probably would have done it with my kids. I, I love that idea, yeah. So I think, you know, God gives, you know, we have creative minds, you know, to to make tradition, you know, to make Oh, and it, Yeah, absolutely. It's different in every house. Uh, you know, like I like I was saying, I I would love to make a custom built like advent calendar that has fifty instead of twenty four, you know, and like a picture on top of it, and then sure. every day one of the kids gets to pull the thing and get the chocolate out. Um, I've actually looked into creating one of those. It's a lot harder to make custom made advent calendars than you might think, uh, unless you live in Germany. Apparently, interestingly enough. Okay, let's look at the uh, at the the passage in question. We're looking at Leviticus 23, 15, and 16. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. There's a huge debate over what this, what Sabbath it's talking about. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of the new grain to the Lord. And by the way, I think that uh, I personally think that there's evidence about this little uh, this this phrase after the sabbath in verse uh, 15 i think that there's evidence in the apostolic scriptures in the new testament that the uh the temple and the uh mass community started counting the omer the day after the fe- first festival set after nisan 15 so nisan 15 happens and i think that there's evidence that they started counting on the 16th I know that's going to be hotly debated by by uh, a lot of uh, people in the Torah movement, but when it when it calls the uh, they took his body off the cross because it was a great Sabbath. There's a huge debate over what the great Sabbath is. I'm I'm very confident personally. I know that uh, this would be challenged, but I'm very confident that this is because they brought the sheaf in and there was extra sacrifices for the counting of the Omer on the 16th. That's why it's called a great Sabbath. Anyway, okay. Um, so let's go to, uh, mm-hmm. I want to up output mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. test, 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 test. Sorry. I'm trying to up my gain here. Just a, a hair. Oh, oops. I'm doing you. I'm up in you instead of me. Check. Yeah. Let's not do that. Hang on just a sec. Da, 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 da. Where am I here? There we are. <laughs> check, 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 check. Okay. That's better. Um, <clears throat> Okay. So uh, we got this email. Actually, I think we got, did we get this this morning? Yeah, maybe. 
Alexa writes, each night that we count, our boys cross off the day and then they get a small treat. I know. See, that's more than we do. I like that. I mean, I like that too, but our kids have so much sugar th- throughout the day, they don't need one right before they go to bed. We it's just, like you have this, you know, you'll have a whole bowl of candy. And you're like, look, you get this whole bowl of candy, but <laughs> it's over you're 50 only days. One at a time. Right. <laughs> one a day. Um, so, be, okay, well, let's let's read the email first and then, then I'll talk about what we do. I know there is the booklet that Torah Resource put out with the verse each day. That's true. There is a booklet that we put out. But it just seems like I should be doing more. Sometimes I just struggle with it feeling pointless. Okay. I know this is not true because we are following God's Torah. And no matter what my feelings are, I need to obey. But I would like it to be a special and uh, memorable time for our family. More than them just getting a treat, but that just seem but that just seems like all it is. Is there if there is time in your show, would you be willing to take a few minutes to share what you and others in your community do each day or how I need to readjust my thinking? That's a great question. And I think the reason it's a great question is because I think everybody's different. I think some people put a bigger emphasis on the Omer than others. Um, my family reads the traditional prayer uh, for counting the Omer. And then my kids get to choose the color. They trade off every every other day. You know, I have two children, so every other day the other one gets to cross off. They get to choose the color on the uh, little cross off calendar, and then uh, for the marker, and then they get to cross it off. And that's basically it. And every once in a while, we talk about why are we counting the Omer. I think that's the most important part. Why are we counting the Omer? And the reason why? Why are we? The reason why is because I think that it it shows that Passover, which is represent which is a representation of justification and redemption, is one hundred percent connected. It cannot be unconnected from Shavuot, which is the giving of the Torah and sanctification. Justification and sanctification go hand in hand, and as soon as you try to break that chain, you you break the whole thing. Mm, I like that. That's what I really liked about. Uh... Well, Lois's family tradition about those with the chain, with the uh, construction paper chain with the different colors. Um, yeah, you know, and and like I've been posting, I've been, it's just been going through the Torah resource, that, uh, that simple booklet I think that's mentioned in the email. You can just download it. It just has a, a Bible verse and it goes, it's over that many days, it's easy to touch on scripture from every book of the Bible. I think some of them are doubled up so we can do that. And, and I've also, you know, just been posting it on, on our Messiah Matters page and our, our, our Heart of Messiah group, you know, every evening for the, for the coming day, you know, and it's just, it's just a blip. It's just a reminder, you know, it's, uh, you know, and when, like now, like today we're recording this, we're halfway, it's like, wow. Every once in a while you pause and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. And of course, you know, there's the scriptures, was it in Job, you know? teach us to number our days or is it in the Psalms? So you can apply this more broadly and recognize that every day, you know, his, it says his mercies are new every morning. Um, and 
that every day is a gift of God. Every day is a, is a gift of God's grace. We have breath in our lungs. We have life. And he's, he's equipped his, his flock with the scriptures, with the basic prayer of the, the, you know, our Father in heaven. You know, give us his day our daily bread. You know, Yeshua says, don't worry about tomorrow, you know, to pay attention to today. And also, you know, the Omer, we're counting the Omer, but it's the same word for the amount of manna that an Israelite was to gather for a day was right. an Omer. That's a food for that day, you know. And they weren't supposed to try to gather up enough for the next day, except it would rot. It would turn to, you know, worms, maggots, or whatever would eat it. Only on the preparation day right. would a person be able to gather twice as much and it not spoil or the Shabbat. So this this idea of counting on God for a provision, I think, is one of the lessons here. And, and it's good to remember that. And like Yeshua says, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And concerning the other point in the email was it I don't remember exactly how he or she put it but it had to do with I don't want it to become uh what was the word like routine uh, uh or why am I doing this uh, was... but I would like to especially family okay sometimes I just struggle with the feeling of pointless pointless okay pointless that uh, that is um, something that could apply to any commandment, right? Someone, in the human heart, could have that attitude towards any of the commandment. As a matter of fact, in the book of Malachi, which is one of my favorite prophetic books, Malachi, is he is he's like roasting the Kohanim, the priest, because he says you're you're calling the altar. You know, I mean, you're offering lame animals unto Adonai as if that's acceptable. And, and so they're even in a matter like that, you know, the priesthood and their daily obligation to offer animals was corrupted by this heart that said, this is pointless. What's the value in this? So I think it's, it's, first of all, it's good that, um, that in this email, this person is being honest, that that is something that's in there, you know, they're aware that that's in there. And now the next step is, okay, now that you've acknowledged, you say, okay, well, is that from the Ruach HaKodesh or is that from the flesh? And recognizing that's uh, from the flesh, and then you can just say, Lord, you know, forgive me for that. Um, you say no to it, and you say that's, and obviously in the email, it's clear that they know that that's not where their heart wants to be. So that's the work of the Ruach, which is something to celebrate, of course, in our life. So, so we have two, two questions in the uh, chat room. So I have a question. Do you make the two loaves and wave them? I've known others who do that. No, we're not priests and we don't have a temple. So there's no, I don't, I don't do that. And if we did uh, make loaves and wave them, it would, it wouldn't be what the Torah is commanding. It would only be a symbol of what the priests would do in the temple. Um, and then Joshua has a question for you, Rob. What is Rob's take on when the waving of the sheaf takes place? Uh, that took uh, takes me a little off guard because I'm not sure I'm understanding the question. I think he 
That, do you mean like when you start counting the Omer? Or waving? Or, or when, in the day, when in the day period does the priest wave the offering? Oh. I think that's what he's saying. He'll clarify once uh, once the le- once the uh, yeah. leg catches up. Okay. Um, On a footnote. Yeah. I have. We could do a Rob's Gematria time if you want to. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Let me see. I had I to. I'm right. like. Because we're show. Did you say two sixty four? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And we hadn't done it for a while. This is all tongue-in-cheek for those who don't listen to us in a long time. Or don't listen to us all Yeah, time. so if you don't know, gematria obviously comes from a Greek. It's a Greek word. It's not a Hebrew word. Um, so, and on the twist of a word, <laughs> everything changes. Um, <laughs> I don't think... So he's acknowledging twisting the word. That's the weirdest thing. No, on a twist. Of, yeah, anyway. Um, uh, I don't know if I actually have your... That's uh, okay. That's okay. I, I, uh, let me look I a little bit more. I uh, didn't warn you. You can Google it. Um, let's see here. <laughs> it's always fun to get back into the soundboard a little bit. <laughs> um, okay. Well, in terms of Gematria, I don't think I actually have the specific... But I do have this. Just remember... It's not a lie, if you believe it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> That'll give us enough setup for gematria. Go. So gematria, it's a it's a Greek concept, right? It comes from Greek, um, using letters to represent numbers, which in and of itself, is not a bad thing, right? Oh, I mean, it's just. Do you know why we don't have the the music anymore? Why? Because I kept getting uh, blocked. Our videos kept getting blocked on YouTube for copyright infringement. Because it was the Twilight Zone music. Oh, cool! That's, that's not <laughs> cool. Google's that's, algorithms found the, the, that's, the that's bots. Why yeah, that's why it's not in our. Uh, the bots found us. Yeah, that's why it's not in our thing. In anyway, the Matrix. Keep, keep going. <laughs> the Matrix. <laughs> uh, so two sixty four is seder, like seder, right? Okay. Samic Dalit Raish. It's also Ani Ger. I am a stranger. I thought that was interesting because I'm a Ger. I'm a I'm a I'm a stranger in a strange land. Is that it? And there was one more. What was the other one? Oh, Yardain, the Jordan River. Yardain. So something about so there's a message here for us. Something about the strangers who they have to get immersed in the Jordan, and then they take part in the Seder. <laughs> the lie detector test determined that was a lie. <laughs> uh, it is fun. You know, they, there's so many of these. I get back into the soundboard, and it's like, oh, man, there's so many good ones here. Uh, like, I, I really, no one can ever understand this one, but I, this is probably one of my favorite on the entire soundboard. If you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine, but don't dump your wackadoo all over us. So he says, if you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo all over us. Oh. <laughs> My wife sent me that. <laughs> I think that's what makes it even better. Uh, okay. Okay, we've had enough fun. Let's get down to business here. Um, we already did that. Oh, we have a, 
Oh, you know what I forgot to do? I did forget to pull up the audio clip that we're going to listen to here. Oh, yeah, we had a voicemail that was yeah, good. Yeah, we, vo we had a voicemail. It was a good voicemail. We got it yesterday, and uh, here it is. Hey, Rob and Caleb, I have a question um, that is probably pretty loaded, and um, Christian apologetics have not done a very good job answering this question. And That's all, That always is a little scary, right? Because who determines whether or not someone has answered the question correctly or well? I mean, it might be the right answer, even though it's not. The gospel is never the right answer for, and I'm not, obviously, this this woman is, is genuine in, in her question. But, you know, the unbelievers, they think the gospel is no answer for anything. They think it's folly. Right. Um. Hang on, we have a. We actually do have a request. Edward has a request for uh, from the soundboard. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, I think I found it already. I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all the religions, really, because we have the most rules and the best clothes. <laughs> okay, uh, let's keep going. So basically, yes, I agree that there are plenty of things that aren't satisfactory in my. But this is really where study comes in, right? I mean, one of the reasons that I have studied so many different. Oh, we lost Rob. Did we lose Rob? We lost Rob. Hmm. Okay. Hang on, let me try calling him back. Let me try calling him back. Okay, let's turn this off real quick. That was weird. It'll take a few seconds for his audio to kick in, and I will fix his um, video here. Sorry, everybody. Give us just a second. Technical difficulties. I'm not sure what's been going on today. Boom. Okay. Are we back? Okay. Testing. Um, yeah. So anyway, the the point is, is that yeah, I completely one of the one of the things that has pushed me to so many different different uh, studies throughout my time as a believer is what I have felt are unsatisfactory answers from apologists. So it's certainly valid um, that this young lady is saying, you know, that, that this issue hasn't been, been answered. But, um, you know, if we don't answer it to your satisfaction, then I would, you know, I would encourage you to do a, a full-blown study and uh, let us know your results. Caleb, uh, I like the way you phrase that. It's like there's a giant hat full of, you know, and then there's pieces of paper that you write unsatisfactory it's the unsatisfactory answer hat and what you do is you write the the, the unsatisfactory answer right. on, a, on a piece of paper and you put it in that hat and then that hat is full of the unsatisfactory answers <laughs> and that's good why is it unsatisfactory it's because your design there's something you know god's giving you a drive to to love truth and to seek and identify and value what is true in his eyes. Hopefully that's your motivation. See, but some we, people, I, I honestly, to be fair, you would have like your Bart Ehrmans of the world who could be driven almost as in with as much tenacity, but to prove, to try to quote, prove the Bible wrong or, or try to produce uh, prove how it's all a corrupted mess, you know? See, but that's just it is that, that, uh, one of the reasons that I've really liked, I mean, fully diving into, and I've written now, I think, 60 pages that has yet to be published on 
uh, the chronology of the crucifixion. I've, I've expanded on my father's work on this. But one of the reasons that study was so much fun for me is because it was an unanswerable question to most scholars for 1900 years. 1800 years. You know, it, it, once you're in the second century, people are already starting to get confused about when things are because the Jews are looking at John and they're taking, they're misunderstanding John. Right. And so th- there's this scholarly, deba- scholarly debate that start that, that is just this argument. Nobody can figure it out. People are saying the, the gospels contradict each other. Then all of a sudden we hit the 19th, the 1900s, the 20th century. And right about then is when things start to, to uh, you know, come into focus in different areas. And it's not until, you know, the 2000s, until the 21st century, where scholars are able to take all of the different scholarship in the 20th century, put it together and say, oh, wait, this is actually this actually lines up perfectly. So for 1800 years, you had scholars that they didn't have a satisfactory answer. And this just proves to me. That when you find something in the Bible that you think is contradictory, it's not the Bible's fault. It's that Hold we haven't understood. Yeah. yeah, we haven't we haven't understood it. We just haven't we haven't figured it out yet. It's our error, not the Bible's error. Okay, let's keep going. Sorry, that was a really long expo- really long expose on on the first thirteen seconds of this message. Let's go back to it. And also, it seems that atheist podcasts can have a heyday. Um, So here it is. If God is the source of absolute morality, and morality never changes, why in Exodus 21, 20 through 21, does God specifically say that a master can beat his slave with a rod and not be punished if the slave does not die? We've actually talked about this before on, on previous shows, but we'll talk about it again. Yet, owning and beating a slave in today's world is absolutely abhorrent. Same question could also be said... Uh, in regards to Numbers 21. Hang on just a sec. So she mentioned atheist uh, atheist podcasters. This is a problem for atheists. <clears throat> I, I think this is a problem for atheists. They don't find it to be a problem. And I've, I've actually, I debated an atheist once in a, in a formal debate. Um, but my question, this was years ago. My question to that atheist was, okay, who judges morality if there is no God? And he said, society. Well, societies change. So the fact that society back in the, uh, you know, in the time of the Torah, slavery was acceptable, whereas in today's culture in the United States, slavery is abhorrent. That's a sliding scale within society. It's not a sliding scale within God's law. God's law remains the same all the time. It's constant, so it never changes. Whereas society's morality does change. And if, if that's the case and there is no God, then, then morality is not morality. If it's acceptable to do something in one culture at one time but not in another, that means that you don't really have a morality. You only have what's going on in your current, in your current culture. So that's the, the beauty of, of God's uh, law is that it doesn't change. Let's keep going. Um, I know that in show number 259 on polygamy, um, Caleb mentioned that Deuteronomy 21 is the consequences Moses established for actions outside of God's will or design for the people. Um, So was it then, so for all of these examples, was God providing the punishments for all these situations, 
or was Moses? And then what would be the implications for either of those answers? Um, because obviously if you say God, well, that does not create a necessarily good moral compass for us. And then if we say Moses, that would also imply that uh, not necessarily God was inspiring these answers. Okay. So first of all, I didn't go back and clip my own, my own uh, show, but I'm quite confident that either, I mean, maybe I used Moses as, as kind of like Yeshua uses Moses in terms of like meaning the Torah, but certainly God, the Torah is God's law, not, it's not man-made. It's not Moses's law. Moses is she is, talking about uh, the idea of where Yeshua says, you know, from the beginning it was not so, but because of the hardness of your heart, Moses gave you the command for divorce. Is that what she's talking about? I. I don't know. Uh, should, uh, in terms of polygamy? Yeah, maybe like maybe we were talking about divorce in that. Yeah, we were, well, we were talking about Matthew, but then we were talking uh, we were talking also about um, uh, we were talking about about uh, a man sending away a woman and uh, divorce and all those kind of things. But, okay. Uh, anyway. Anyway. So my point was, it says if a man has two wives and he hates one of them. My point was is that if you look at the context of all of all of that passage, it's talking about things that are abhorrent to God. It's not talking about things that are acceptable to God. So you can't take the polygamy uh, aspect and say, oh look, he's he's sanctioning polygamy. If you do that, then you have to take everything around it. A son who hates his father, uh, you know, a a woman. I th- what is the other one? infidelity anyway there i mean there it's all things that are that god hates but then how to deal with the, the situation once it happens that's the point mm-hmm. um so i don't see that as moses giving commands i see that as the right. almighty giving commands anyway let's move to what she's talking about she, in uh, thank you for the question by the way uh alice uh alice is in the chat room right now um so Let's look at what she's talking about. She's talking about Exodus 21, 20 through 21, and then uh, then I'll expand on this. It says, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. I mean, obviously... What translation is that? ESV. Obviously, this is, I mean... Any anyone who hears this in in uh, modern day America is going to is going to jump all over this. However, I've said many times that you know anytime you find a a single verse that uh, explains something in the scriptures, always look for a clarification somewhere else. There's always other scripture. Scripture uh, explains scripture. This is a hermeneutic a hermeneutical point um, that I think almost every scholar will agree on. And we don't have to go far. Only a couple verses later, Exodus 21, 26 through 27. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. In other words, what we have here is we have, it's obvious that the slave, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You're not allowed to, to basically the slave has the same rights as, as anyone else. The point and this is, is unique. Yeah. In ancient in the ancient Near East, you couldn't get if a person had a slave and beat and killed the slave, there would be no consequences. Right. 
the Torah is saying there are consequences. This is actually this is a human uh, being. And and here here's an important thing. Like you, the ESV says he shall be avenged in, in twenty verse twenty. And it says like he shall be punished. It's nakom yinakem in Hebrew, which is understood in uh, in the rabbinic commentaries as death penalty. Right. Then in other words, Exodus twenty one twenty is saying that if a person smites and kills his slave, he's liable to the death penalty, which is unique. That's this very different from all other cultures, right? ancient Near Eastern law. And here, here's an interesting point on that. The Samaritan Torah, so the Torah that survives in Hebrew from the Samaritan tradition, has a different wording there. It says, mot yamut, dying he shall die. So there's a text variant between the Samaritan and the Masoretic text at Exodus 21, verse 20. That, uh, But they're both understood to have the same meaning. The idea is that it's talking about death penalty for the slave owner. Right. Uh, and, then, like, <clears throat> and, that, and then to unpack, well, what about a few, what about damages just, you know, short of death? Well, you just unpack those, Caleb, later. And the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that means monetary, monetary compensation in in general, uh, what they call lex talionis, uh, law of reciprocity, you know, of, of just weights and measures. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. But in the case of a of a of a slave owner, he's being warned that that if he mistreats his slave, his slave will go free. He will no longer have this. He he abdicates his his. Uh, his claim. Well, let's break this down a little bit more because it says, I mean, the ESV says for his slave is his money. And Alice says <clears throat> correctly. Uh, yeah. My translation says property. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, Kesef. That, that's the word silver. Literally. That's the, that's the meaning of the text though is property. And this is the, this is the case in the ancient near East. I mean, obviously we have to take ourselves out of Western America right now. It means he purchased, it, it means that he, acquired him somehow right through right purchase. and and most likely especially if it's an israeli slave then the slave probably owed the the landowner money for something and is now working off a debt in other words his the the money is the issue so this is not abhorrent in the i mean the torah talks also about if a slave loves his owner right so i mean this is not the kind of of obviously our understanding of slavery is is uh uh, completely and rightly clouded, by the way, by the American slave trade and African American uh, slaves and uh, the abhorrent abuse that went on in the in the Americas, and also, I mean, and vice versa, which was inherited right through. I mean, basically, they it was it was Muslims who were trading slaves from Africa up to Europe, and then basically Europeans got rid of the middleman and started doing it themselves. And it was I mean, it was the reverse in Africa, right? There were there were white slaves in Africa. There's been abuses all around the world with slavery. There's no doubt about it. Well, yeah. One other side note here is that why did we have to ask why did God give the Torah? Did He give the Torah so humans could fix the world, all the wrongs that are in the world? Did the, God give the Torah so that humans could handle the sin problem? I think the answer is no. God didn't give the Torah to fix the ills of the world. Right. But he, he gave the Torah to teach of who he is, to proclaim who, his holiness 
and to warn of and his justice, it, that he it, rewards faithfulness and he punishes the wicked, right? And that the righteous, you know, that's the core bit of why. So we have the problem. You could ask the same problem, like instead of, you know, move the target off of, let's say, Exodus 21 and go to Paul writing to in Philemon about um, Onismus, right? It's like you have a, they're both believers, right? You have a, you have a slave owner, basically. Now, of course, this is a thousand plus years later, but it's still Mediterranean, you know, ancient world. Um, and, and you have the problem of like, well, Onismus ran away. What is Paul going to do? He sends, a, he writes a letter to Philemon saying, receive him back. How come, well, we could argue, we could say, well, wow, this is New Testament times, you know, it's the New Testament. How come Paul right. can't just say, you know, no more slavery, right? Well, and, and if you push that, then why, did, why didn't Yeshua just, you know, instead of dying on the cross, why didn't he just call that the legions of angels there and just kick Rome out, instantly, you know, put all the wicked uh, people in prison and just set up his kingdom, from Jerusalem, you know, right. so we're getting into that level where we're where we're having to ask the bigger picture of of God's purposes in history and why does the Lord tarry when there's wickedness in the world? Uh, um, I see those as bigger questions that this specific problem we're looking at is uh, is an example of. Okay, uh, Stephen asks, "What if uh, it was not an Israeli slave?" Well, that's fine. <clears throat> I mean, the same law still still applies. But yeah, the, yeah. But the, Death, uh, to my, kill my, another human. Yeah, my, is, my point, however, was not. My point was that usually Israeli slaves became Israeli slaves to Israelis through uh, monetary debt, whereas non-Israeli slaves could have come into slavery in other ways. It could be monetary debt, but right. um, it could also be a conquering of of uh, uh, people or. Um, you know, something like that. You know, this is fitting because in this week, uh, present week here in the the yearly Torah portion is Bahar, Parashat Bahar, which gets into the Shemitah year, the Yovel, um, and all this issue of, of slaves, whether it's from a stranger or whether it's a, a brother, Israelite, etc. And that's like Leviticus, in the Leviticus 24, 25, I think, if I remember right, so in that area. 26. So, uh, Stephen says owning someone because you killed their family. Well, I mean, that could be part of it. Conquering a land. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, once again, I think that culturally this is, uh, this is maybe abhorrent to us, but you know, these are the things that happened. This is the way people lived. Uh, but the point is, is that what the Torah does is give extraordinary uh, uh, grace to the, to those who are, and w- what I see this as, what I see uh, Exodus twenty one twenty through twenty one as saying is that the slave has probably done something wrong. In other words, you're not just beating the slave because you like to beat people. Right. Something has happened. the The slave has been caught in something, or and you're dueling out uh, appropriate punishment or whatever it may right. be. Because because we have a the flip side. If you're just beating your slave and you knock out his eye or you knock out his tooth, and the, I don't think that this just applies to an eye or a tooth. The point is, is that if you wrongly hurt someone, 
monetarily, you owe them. So you have to pay the consequence for that. The only time that, that Exodus 21, 20 through 21 comes into play is if something has happened where it's just to, do, to duel out punishment. But even then, if you duel, duel out too much, and the rabbis have a heyday with the, the idea of, of giving lashes. If you give 49 lashes to someone, right, you're allowed to give 50 lashes to someone according to the Torah. If you get, but the rabbi said if you 40, act... So it's 39 and 40. 39 and 40, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you're allowed to give 40, 40 lashes to a person according to the Torah. But the rabbis, and this is in much later discussions, the rabbis say, well, what if someone miscounts and they hit them 30, uh, 41 times and the person dies? Then the person giving the lashes is culpable of the death penalty themselves because now they've killed a person unjustly. And so this is where they pull back 40 lashes minus one so that if you miscount by one, you're still within the, <laughs> within the, the appropriate amount. It's an. In, I mean, what it shows is is how uh, how much emphasis they put on the idea of we want to do it right. Um, you know, we don't want to unjustly kill someone. But the, w- if we apply this to the Exodus passage, the only reason that you're um, beating a slave is if they've done something that warrants uh, punishment of of the sort. In other words, if you find them stealing from you, what happens? There. Well, they can't pay you back plus a fifth. You own them because they owe you money, presumably, in most cases. Right. So they, you already own them because of money. So another another punishment has to be dueled out. This is kind of how I see this. It might not be, um, it might not be satisfactory. But I don't honestly. I don't think the. Uh, I don't think that the, uh, the the Torah and the laws in the Torah and the gospel are ever going to be satisfactory to atheists. Okay, we got a lot going on. In the- well, here one more one more point on that is that the one of the the core lesson here is understanding that God, that man is made in God's image. That's what's in the Torah. So, what what it, these particular mishpatim are teaching Israel is to see the Evid as a human being made in God's image. Right. That's crucial. And that's why it says you were serve you were slaves in Egypt. So you are to remember the heart of the slave. You are to remember the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in Egypt. The idea is that and that's back to the Shabbat commandment even. You're not going to be like the world. It it doesn't come and solve the problem of slavery throughout the world. What it does, it, it, it teaches the dignity of, of, of human beings, and even if, they're, even if they're slaves. Now, the slave, to Caleb's point, if they're a slave, whether by their own um, uh, poor behavior or just you know, sad circumstance, war, or, or whatever, it, the presumption is, is that God's identifying with them as the weaker uh, person in this in this relationship, and God defends them. That's what we have to understand: that anything that is unjust will come back on the person who is doing the unjust treatment. You know, I just looking up in in First Peter, you know, because he's talking about um, servants, right? In First Peter two, you know, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Now, of course, this is first century. Um, 
not only to those masters who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. For this um, finds favor. For if the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? You know, that it's, you know, it's, there is no credit. But if you do what is right and you suffer, then you, you're, God is on your, fi- you're on your side. You, have, you, you know, God's not going to forget. So the justice of God is a crucial um, backbone to understanding, like Parashat Mishpatim here that we're looking at, where you've got these judgments and understanding what's the core theological backbone that upholds these principles here. And how does that compare in the larger ancient Near East? And then what does it say about, you know, and then we look to the apostolic writings. And then, Caleb, like you were saying, differentiating that from the subsequent slave trade that emerges, you know, in the you know post-medieval times and that we, uh, you know, have a sad history in the United States of. So... There's um, a, it's a great topic, but there's a lot of nuance. Hang on. we got, So Stephen says, but God does not defend them. It literally says in 2121 that he will not be punished. Once again, you have to take this in context. No, that's death penalty. That's death penalty. It basically be put, look, put to death. That is the, the slave owner will not be put to death if the guy dies a couple days later. The point is, hang on just a sec, though. The point is, is that. The, the slave owner is not allowed to uh, straight up just kill people. The slave owner is allowed to duel out punishment according to what the, what the laws are. But the, but the point is, is that, look, if he knocks out a tooth or a, an eye of a person, he has to pay monetarily for that. The, so you can't just take one thing and say, this is what it means. If, if we did that, then we would say that, that uh, Yeshua, I mean, we could j- just take the passage in the apostolic scripture and say, uh, this is my uh, this is my blood, uh, you know, drink drink my blood. Oh, yeah, we, we're, we're, we're supposed to drink blood. No, you have to take it within the full, fuller, wider context. The point is, is that the slave owner certainly has the ability to punish for wrongs done in his house to his, uh, from his slaves. That he's being warned. Well, just like we see, if he if if he hits him so hard to knock out a tooth, what happens? Is he yeah. guiltless? Does he you know? Does right. the owner just get off? I mean, certainly today this does this would not apply to us in America, simply because the law of the land is that you're not allowed to have slaves. In I mean, in, uh, certainly in the way that I think people in are thinking of this. Right. But I don't think that the relationship of slave to slave owner in the ancient Near East was exactly the same as what we think of when we think of slavery here. And the reason I think that is because um, because we because we think of the of what has happened in this country and the horrific things that have happened to, to look the slave trade that happened in the United States. Certainly the Torah is against it. It's that that is not biblical. And so the point is, is that if we're going to, you know, if we're going to try to apply what we're looking at in the Torah to what we have today in America, first of all, the laws in America are very clear that we're not allowed to have slaves. So this this wouldn't even arise, because if you're going to have a slave, you're going to acquire that slave through illegal means. 
So that's number one. Number two, you can't just pull someone off the street and sell them. That's called kidnapping. And the Torah is clearly against that. And that is exactly what happened to the African-American slaves in the United States. They were literally stolen from their home and then sold to someone. That's not I mean, allowed. And that's in the the in the the sex slave trade, which is just so overwhelmingly devastating and you know, in terms so, of what, just I the way that I'm seeing this is that we madness. have two two completely different categories. People think slave, what they're thinking is people forced out of their homes and and sold against their will, as opposed to something else. Now I, I grant I grant I grant that uh, the idea of war is different, but laws during war are different for a lot of things. I've never been a soldier. I'm not going to pretend that I understand what any of that would be like. But um, all I can say is that I think that the, that the way that we look at slavery today is so clouded by... Uh, the h- horrific nature of slavery in the in the United States and even around the world, um, it shows that that the depravity of man uh, is is a real thing. The fact that, that okay, I want to I want to while fact you're that, talking, I'm going to peek at the chat room. Go for it. The the fact that people can treat other human beings so deplorably, I think, goes outside of the Torah in general. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. We're supposed to treat people with dignity and respect. And that includes all human beings because we're we're made in the image of God. Yeah, there's no other ancient Near Eastern legal code. Because you know that ancient Near Eastern legal codes had theological elements, right? Right. And... None of them were based on that all humans are made in the image of God. Exactly. Um, Stephen says, in Mesopotamia, they had um, only the kings were made in God's image, right? And everybody else was made of blood and, you know, and, and parts of a murdered God, of the murdered gods, you know, and, and different kind of like cosmologies or you know, theologies of, of where they came from. And then the legal legal structure were often anchored into that idea of of the the divinity of the king or something like that. So Stephen but, Stephen says, so owning people is okay as long as it's by the Bible's rules. Well, I would say if you are in a country where slavery slavery is permitted and you are going according to what the scriptures say. And treating people with dignity, which could not happen in the United States in our time. I think of the of the biblical model of slavery much more as a, a servant slash butler role, as opposed to what I think most people are thinking in terms of the slave trade. And he says slavery sla- slavery should not be permitted is the point. Okay, well, you can think that. I think that slavery, for the reasons that that the that slavery happened, I mean, slavery for God's reasons, right, 
in the Torah is okay. Now, will that ever be in this world again? I don't know. Probably not. It's not in the world now. No doubt. So if, if someone, <laughs> yeah, so the idea of owning, like someone said, so owning people, that's not, um, that's not the biblical way. I would say, so that's not, owning people is not okay. I would say no, because the Bible doesn't really say it's, that it's owning in that manner. I'm, there's I'm proud to be a slave to Christ. <laughs> that's right. I mean, we're all, if, if we're believers, we're all slaves to Christ, and we should revel in that. And right, that is shame that Jesus has said that we are either slaves to Yeshua or slaves to sin. That's exactly right. And and that's the the uh, one of the points is that Christ is always the model. If we had if we had slavery in the world where everyone treated their slaves like Christ treats treats his slaves, we would see what slavery in the Torah. Is yeah, and what, what are they be. doing? They're keeping the commandments, right? I mean, the slaves. According to the Sabbath command, the slave keeps the Sabbath with the whole household. Right. Yeah, and the point is being made that in Leviticus 25, 44 through 46, allow, allows getting permanent slaves from pagan nations around Israel. I, yeah, I agree. Which is, how was that done? Thanks, Carl. That's Yeah, that's the from... Bahar, that's this week's Torah portion in the one-year cycle. Yeah, uh, it looks uh, like Jessica exactly. That's that's one of the points I I think is super important. The law gives God's standard of justice in the midst of our fallen nature slash world, not God's perfect world ideals. Yeah, He didn't give. You know, I mean, it's the same reason why didn't He give Moses how to make the internet, right? I mean that. <laughs> The world, you know, it's not that God didn't know, right? <laughs> There's all manner of problems related to the sin-infested world. And by God's grace, he, through revelation, pierces in. I mean, we could say that. a plan over we say, time. We could say that and, about, about. And yet today, the Lord still tarries. Why does Yeshua still tarry when there's such wickedness in the world, when there's such the number of abortions, for example? Hang it's on just, just a sec. Wait, wait, wait. Stephen says the Internet has nothing to do with morality. You're right, but the rest of the Torah does. It says that you're not allowed to kill. You're not allowed to kill. Or if somebody kills somebody else, you put them to death. That doesn't mean that murder is allowed. If I someone steals. I know it, it's, uh, Internet is not a moral thing. If, if, somebody, if somebody steals something, then they have to pay it back plus a fifth. That doesn't mean that stealing's okay. The Torah is com is totally complete with what happens when somebody does something wrong. That's the point. It's a moral code for a fallen world. That's the entire point. God did not come and and fix the world. So it seems like Stephen has a. I mean, obviously, the answer for Stephen that we have given is not um, is not satisfactory. So the question that I'd have for Stephen is, what? okay, that's totally fine. You don't have to agree with me. What is your solution to the slavery problem of the Bible? Do you think the Bible's wrong? Do you think God's holiness changes? 
I mean, obviously, it's in the Torah. So I can't say that the Torah is wrong. I mean, is that the is that the right answer? Is the right answer that the Torah is incorrect? Or that the Torah got it wrong? I don't understand that I don't understand the point here. If if a slave if a master strikes and kills a slave, that's death penalty. If a master strikes a slave and knocks his tooth out or it damages his eye, these are just case right. examples. There's these are just examples of the general principle. The slave goes free. Right. That's that's God defending the dignity and human personhood of the slave and warning the master again of that standard of justice. Exactly. And so if that's true, if that's true in the in the stark justice department, how much more true then is it for a slave owner who's kind and loving and who worships the God of Israel and shares the Shabbat with right the the servant etc that there's going to be blessings for uh, both. Well, the, 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 Stephen's answer is actually quite, uh, quite interesting. He says, no, I think morality is subjective, and you are claiming it is absolute morality. That's because God gives, the reason I'm claiming that it is absolute morality is because God gives the Torah. He says, be holy, for I am holy. And he also says, I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore Israel is not consumed. God does not change. If God changed, then morality could change. The Torah is a reflection of who God is. It shows his holiness. Well, then the word, yeah, and in the same way, if, if you want to say morality is subjective, well, you'd have to you'd have to say that the concept of slavery is subjective over history. I'm not saying, no, he says, but, you, but, and, he says and, but you are saying slavery is wrong. I'm not saying slavery is wrong. If you're done according to the way that the Torah does it, it says to, in in a place where uh, where it's legal. Now, I don't see that in the world today. I don't, I don't know a culture where that's permissible. I'm sure it's probably out there, but it's not being done according to the way that the Torah says. That's my point. I'm not saying that slavery is, is wrong if we do it according to the way that the Bible has, has put forward. Obviously, it's not. But my point is... The only is, kinds of slavery we have today are probably debt slavery where you have people, let's say they get a bunch of credit card debt and they're burdened by paying that back. And, you know, depending on their, how they earn money, you know, they might carry a weight of debt that really affects their life. You know, I mean, that's, a, that's I could say, see that we could use the word slavery to describe that situation. But again, that's a different use of slavery than you know we see elsewhere in history all right it's been a conversation i don't know if it's been a good conversation but it's been a conversation i think that the ultimate point of this conversation has been this god doesn't change god's torah doesn't change his morality is eternal and the reason his morality is eternal is because he's eternal and god doesn't change we can't look at Scripture and say, oh, God got it wrong. So, I mean, I don't think that people have to accept my understanding of this passage and what it means. I'm not, I mean, obviously, I don't think that the uh, slave trade in the, in the United States could ever be defended for what it was. And I don't think that, that uh, slavery around uh, the world 
in the past 100 years, or 200 years for that matter, could be defended, according, from, according to Scripture. Not the way it was done. I, don't, I, just don't think, I just don't think that that's possible. So when we look at the Torah and we look at the laws of the Torah and what it's saying, we have to understand what it means in terms of the morality of how we treat people. What the Bible yeah, says. I see, about there's a comment. People. I think it's by Stephen. Which is a better model of morality: slavery, as described in the Torah, or no slavery at all? I, I could ask the same question. I could say, well, what's better: a world without sin, or a world that we have it is now, which is full of sin? It's a. It's, of course. What would we say? We would say, well, a world where there's no sin, no debt. Right. Yeah, a world without world debt. With no debt. World, I mean, I mean and now here we go. It's but that's we're, what we're striving for. John Lennon, imagine, imagine there's no borders. You know, everybody loving everybody in peace. You know, let's join together and hold that, hands. Isn't that what we're moving towards, though? I mean, the king, the kingdom of God, is is what we're what we as believers. The yeah. it's the Here's hope of the, the gospel. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The guilty are not going to get away with it, right? The guilty are not going to be unpunished, and that should that should sober our our hearts and minds quicker than anything, right? Is the is fear of God that when Yeshua uh, comes and sets his kingdom, you know, wickedness is going to be addressed, and there's going to be punishment. I. You know, and we'd say, oh, you can't punish, you know, like the people who who've, they've committed a murder and they're just on death row perpetually. And our money just goes, you know, you know I, taxpayer I think, dollars. I think Stephen is I think that Stephen is still is still uh, misunderstanding the concept that I have in my mind. And let me try. Let me try one more time. I am driving my car down the road. And a mile down the road. My buddy has his very nice, very expensive car out front. I accidentally run into it. I don't have insurance. Now, I can do one of two things. Actually, I can't do anything. The reason why is because I don't have any money and I don't have any insurance. What do I do? I tell the guy, okay, look, I'll tell you what. I'll come and I will work for you. I'll come live at your house and I'll I'll, I'll take care of your, your house for you to pay off the debt. Is this wrong? In many cases, this was the only solution and people were happy to do it. That's the point. The word that's being used here is slavery. I go, I live in the dude's house, and I, I start to work off my debt. Now, the situation that's being uh, explained here in Exodus 21 is something like this. He walks in and he finds me loading my pockets full of his jewelry. What happens? I get in trouble. And I get punished for it. If he kills me, he's liable for the death penalty. If he knocks my eye out, guess what? He has to pay retribution. The point is, is that there, this is a structure that's going on. And in the ancient Near East, there was nothing wrong with this. It was not seen as a bad thing. Oftentimes, it was seen as something that was uh, the way to get out of debt. 
That's how I see it. Is that going on today? It might be in some cultures. It certainly is not happening here in America, unless you consider your you know, Visa and MasterCard and American Express to be uh, debt holders and that we're slaves to them. I think that relationship is a bit different because I'm not living in, at the Visa headquarters cleaning their floors. Um, okay. Well, there you go. We had a lot more to talk about. Yeah. We need discipline. Whether it's, uh, you know, and, and discipline, meet it out wisely. And that's not always an easy thing for us humans. But if you are, if you are, if you belong to the Lord, he will discipline you. And it's through discipline or affliction that you learn to value the things of the kingdom of God. This is this is a principle of scripture. It's, you know, it's in the Proverbs, it's in the Psalms, it's in um, the, the epistle to the Hebrews. If, if God does not discipline us, then we're, we're not his children because he's, he doesn't care about us because his value system is his value system and it's non-negotiable. And Israel walking in the truth of, of the revelation of the Torah, having just come from serving as slaves, being commanded time and time again to be holy like he is holy, to learn what he says, and you will not mistreat the foreigner because you were a, uh, the Ger or the Evid because you were slaves in Egypt. So your slaves are going to keep the Shabbat, right? And if you, if you do cause damage to your servant, they're going to go free. If you kill a servant, death penalty. This is unique among all ancient Near Eastern law because it's upholding the dignity of the human person and, and representing that as holiness. If I'm just going to say, oh, I'm going to read Exodus 21 and I'm, I'm in the position of an Israelite slaveholder. Oh, as long as I don't knock out his tooth or break a leg or bruise his eye, I can get away with beating him up however I want. That's a fool. And that's a person who doesn't love God with all his heart, soul, and strength and love his neighbor as himself. And that person, God's going to handle. God's going to, you know, give that guy his, his just desserts. If you forget the organizing principle of what the Torah is, love God, love your neighbor, and all the commandments, Yeshua said, hang on these. If I'm going to forget that, if I'm going to forget how Yeshua himself teaches us to, to understand and, and organize and prioritize the, the commandments of the Torah and how they all fit together, then I can take this Exodus 21 out of, uh, out of context and imagine it, oh, you know, it's just a, I can just do whatever I want. As long as I don't knock out a tooth, I want to, I want to cause as much damage to this slave as I can to show him who's boss, but just shy of so where they legally would be able to go free. Well, what kind of heart is that? That's an that's a wicked heart. That's not a per, that's not a child of God. See, I mean, once again, I, uh, St Stephen is going to have to uh, clarify because he says Clinton, there is no context in which owning another human is okay. Well, then explain the Torah. Then you explain the Torah commands. Because it seems to me that what you're saying is is that the Torah is wrong. 
That's what it sounds like to me. So, I mean, my answer, my, my answer might not be, uh, my answer might not be, uh, satisfactory to you, but at least I'm not saying that the, that the tour is incorrect. God is not wrong. All right. It's been a good conversation. We will uh, be back next week. I'm not sure. Well, we do have a lot to talk about, but uh, keep sending in your questions and your uh, comments. We love having these kind of conversations. Love everybody in the chat room. It's always good to have a, a very uh, good, lively conversation. And yeah. 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 Uh, we hope that you're all counting the Omer and uh, having a blessed time doing it. Doing Halfway. it. All right, we hope this conversation did one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.